Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. This podcast may contain adult themes, strong language, and stupid health advice. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome back to In Bad Taste, where we cast a critical eye over health documentaries and the claims they make. I am your host, registered nutritionist Pixie Turner, and as usual, I am joined by my partner in crime. <laughs> uh, I'm cardiothoracic surgeon Dr. Nikki Stamp, uh, and I think probably this week we might feel like we're committing a crime, or we'll certainly be accused of it anyway. Um, yeah. <laughs> but even though we are partners in crime, Really, the only dubious activity that goes on here is the fact that any of these films exist. And sadly, we're back at it again with our third episode of The Magic Pill, or as we like to call it, The Unmagic Pill. And this week, we are tackling one of the biggest claims that people make in nutrition bollocks spaces, and that <laughs> is the idea that food is medicine. Mm-mm. People are going to be mad this week. Super mad. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But honestly, the truth just needs to be set free. It just does. (laughs) I've always found that debating whether or not food is medicine is one of the fastest ways to make people angry on social media. But you know what? We don't really care because we're not here to shoot down ideas without merit and without balance. So please hear us out. But we definitely have some serious, serious debunking to do this week. Yes, and once again, we are starting with Hippocrates. (laughs) Why is it always Hippocrates? Well, why is it always an ancient doctor who knew nothing? Like they knew nothing. I mean, no, nothing, nothing. But they, they didn't really know a lot, did they? I don't know why these people are always so obsessed with a time when you know, bloodletting was thought to be an appropriate treatment for a whole bunch of diseases. You know, we've, we have come a long way since then, people. Maybe, maybe keep up. I don't know. The extra irony to that is that they are asking us to eat in a way that is pre-civilization. In fact, pre-Hippocrates. Yes. So could they not find anybody else to quote? I don't know. I mean, could they not quote somebody older than Hippocrates? Why did they have why did they have to quote an old white dude when that kind of goes against their whole thing that they are trying to do here? They're really mixing time zones and genres a little bit, aren't they? They're just really not getting it right. But look, you know, this this quote, food, you know, let food be thy medicine by Hippocrates. I mean, that this has been pretty well debunked that Hippocrates ever said this. 
including by us on previous episodes. <laughs> Correct. Yeah. I don't know how many times we have to say that, you know, look, it's a lot. I think it's a lovely sounding quote, isn't it? It's like a, you know, PR person's wet dream, but it's, it's just, it's not accurate. It was never accurate. And also it was, it came in a time when they had no alternative to try food um, because people died in their thirties. They didn't have medication or surgery or preventative health care or vaccines or anything like that. So they had to give food a crack. It was absolutely ridiculous. <sighs> yes. So we're starting with hypocrisy and chaos, which is very much the whole theme of this documentary. Let's just continue on that line, shall we? I mean, the irony is with the whole food as medicine thing, and more irony, is that mm. it's a group of primarily doctors who are keen to learn more mm. about nutrition and have more nutrition training in schools, for example, which are which are very admirable mm -hmm. goals. Yes, we've, we've talked about that. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But in the process of wanting to know more about nutrition, they are listening to other doctors and not listening to the nutrition professionals who are all yelling, mm -hmm. please stop calling food medicine. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Because it's not. It, it literally isn't. I just, I find the fact that they are given equivalence that food is medicine it devalues both food and it devalues medicine beautifully said yes absolutely it, it, I mean it does I mean it devalues the role that medicine plays in keeping us healthy um, but it also devalues I think it devalues the role that food does play in our health and, and well-being but it also you know it reduces food to to a medicine to a, a remedy and food is so much more than that and we've spoken about this so many times you know food is is enjoyable it is comforting it is you know showing love and affection and these are all very valid reasons to eat yeah absolutely and it's uh oh it just pisses me off okay <laughs> like i don't have anything more eloquent to say that it pisses me off for for many reasons Look, nutrition is primarily seen mm. as more preventative. It is not a cure for anything, really. I mean, for example, a high fiber diet can be protective against some cancers, but it is beyond useless if you already have cancer. And even the word prevent is kind of misleading because you can have the quote unquote perfect diet, which does not exist by the way, but hey, go with me on this. Mm -hmm. And you can still get cancer or heart disease or dementia or anything like that because food is never guaranteed to prevent a chronic complex health condition because it is complex. Food, I mean, food in these conditions are incredibly complex. I mean, you do get some very basic scenarios where if you're allergic to something and you don't eat it, you feel better. What a surprise. But rarely is it that simple and of course, we know by now, because we've talked about it so many times, cancer, heart disease, these are type 2 diabetes, these are complex things. And when we try and reduce them down to something so simple as one food or one simple cause, it does just it does just devalue everything. And this entire narrative of food as medicine, mm -hmm. it places the blame back on the individual with the disease when that is neither accurate nor helpful. And I see it as food shaming, really. Yeah, it's medication shaming as well. It's basically saying that if you are just lazy, it implies a degree of laziness. Um, if you are lazy with your um, 
we you know and just take medications or have surgery or whatever you're not you don't really care about your health because you're not putting effort into preparing these impressive meals in which to 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 treat your your ailments but i think i think for me you know whenever i say that food isn't medicine and i don't know about you pixie i'm sure you've had the same thing but people mm-hmm. get really mad and they're like how dare you i mean obviously what you eat matters to your health you know you're a terrible person you're a terrible doctor and i'm like look i'm not a moron okay i am very very aware that nutrition does play a role in in disease right like we all know that you'd have to be living under Mm -hmm. a rock (laughs) to not understand the science of that like like you just said before you know that i think fiber and bowel cancer for example is a really really good example of it but i think that what what we're saying when we're saying that food isn't medicine is as you've said it's it's it isn't a cure. I mean, if you think about it, you know, food acts via, you know, our, and our food, when I talk about food, I mean like our entire diet, what we eat over a week, a day, a lifetime. It acts over so many different different pathways, different mechanisms, um, some, you know, psychological factors as well, you know, feeling comfort from food, that's good for you. Um, when you sort of put all of those things together, the possible impacts that your diet has on your health are broad and they're not intense in their action, right? They're not, they're not a strong action. Whereas when you look at a medication, you know, medication is very specific. It acts in a very particular way on a very particular pathway to, ret- to achieve a very particular aim. So, you know, I, I just feel like they're trying to use the, the food food is medicine crowd, that is. I think they're trying to use diet, which has, you know, pretty pretty low sensitivity for, for various illnesses, for a whole bunch of different illnesses, you know, in a way that does sort of lacks biological plausibility in some ways. D- does that make sense? Yeah, it makes total sense. And it, to, to phrase it a slightly different way, if people want it a different way, food operates within very specific roles and biomedical parameters, whereas the the very nature of pharmaceutical drugs and other medicine is that they operate beyond, outside the biological range of food. That is what makes it medicine. It's been purified, it's been concentrated to provide a therapeutic dose. They are, by their very definition, different things that operate within very different biological parameters because that Mm. is the point. Because if food were the same as medicine, we wouldn't have bothered making medicine. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. I mean, look, you know, this, this not, look, a lot of medication comes from from nature, in inverted commas, because I know a lot of pe- people love talking about things coming from nature, but, you know, a lot of medication comes from nature. Um, but, you know, we're distilling down those active ingredients, whether you find that in, you know, in foods or in plants or whatever, to uh, a, measurable, uh, a measurable dose and a measurable form so that you know that you're getting the effect, um, you know, just sort of, having a diet to try and fix things not all things but some things is a bit like a shot in the dark that's sort of the way the way i see it but you know one of the big uh one of the one of our big bugbears on this show is as you probably heard us before rant on about is when these diets try to say that they can cure cancer and there is one 
uh, person in the film who is featured, you know, as the kind of golden child for a cancer diagnosis that has been uh, cured by a ketogenic diet. And that's a lady by the name of Sarah, who was apparently diagnosed with breast cancer in 2012. Now, yeah, I think we've done this before and I've told you this before. I love going down little rabbit holes trying to find out what happened <laughs> to these people in the film. Oh, I love it when you do this as well. But I couldn't find it. I was so disappointed in myself. I was like, oh, my God, I've really lost my touch. We had like a few months off podcasting and all of a sudden I can't stalk people on the internet particularly well anymore. But anyway. That's very sad. I <laughs> know. Um, so Sarah was diagnosed with breast cancer 2012. Now she has a she has a, a cancer that sounds like it has some, you know, may have had some aggressiveness to it, but you know we don't know because as always and as is appropriate, Sarah doesn't afford us access to her entire medical record. Um, but her diagnosis she puts down to the fact that we are constantly triggering our insulin. Now we've already discussed this. We like insulin. Lack of insulin is called diabetes. So, you know, this is good. <laughs> it's good. Uh, also, carbohydrates uh, are not the only thing that trigger insulin release, by the way. So if you really want to be nitpicky about it, you know, let's just get some facts straight. But anyway, she decided to treat herself with a ketogenic diet. Um, and she sa- says that, I mean, just she starts rabbiting on, as is common, with some sort of pseudoscientific word vomit she says that cancer cells can't get energy from oxygen i was like that's completely untrue cancer cells are actually very adept at getting energy in whatever fashion they can whether that be oxygen or no oxygen cancer cells aren't anaerobes they belong in your they live in your body therefore they like oxygen because we like oxygen um you know they can certainly change whether or not they can extract better more energy rather from glucose or protein or fats but they definitely need oxygen, okay? We're, we're not talking about, you know, some sort of oxygen-deprived tumour. But anyway, she says that without any treatment, her tumour is shrinking. And they show this sort of, I don't know if you remember this part, they showed like a comparison picture of when she was first diagnosed, like a, I think it was an MRI, and then and then when she was um, been on this, this diet for a little while and you're supposed to sort of see that, this lump has apparently gone and so she's like the poster child in this film for food being medicine but I I sort of we have we don't really have any way to verify uh what she's saying right yeah um and you know part of me I don't I'm not calling her a liar by the way because I think you know you kind of have to take people at face value if she says that you know she's getting better then you know we kind of have to say well she's getting better that's great and that's you know I'm really pleased for her um but I came back to Belle Gibson and we like to talk about Belle Mm -hmm. Gibson around these parts that's exactly my thought (laughs) as well exactly my thought right so if someone is saying making an outrageous claim like that that they have you know she's cured her breast cancer with um with diet with this specific diet then actually you know that's i think what i learned from bell gibson i think we actually have a right to ask for some verification to a degree you know because if i if i came let's just say on this show i said i have a brand new medication that is going to cure all cancers right pixie you would be like bitch prove it mm-hmm. <laughs> with those exact words yeah you actually would <laughs> which would be prefaced by i don't fucking believe you prove it <laughs> yeah. 
So, you know, so I just I just don't think it's really appropriate to swan around saying that diet cures cancer. You know, I think you I think you should have to prove it. And if we look at, we've talked about this a lot, listen to our episodes on Gerson. Um, we've talked about this a lot, but if you look at the science, I'm really sorry, but there is no evidence to support that any form of dietary intervention can cure cancer. Can nutritional support help you through cancer treatment, help you stay healthy during cancer treatment? Bloody oath it can. It really can. Can it shrink tumours? I'm sorry, but I just haven't seen that. We know that pursuing this kind of stuff actually usually results in more deaths. So... Small details are big surfaces. Tight corners are odd shapes. Flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project... There's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rust-Oleum. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Food ain't medicine. Yeah. 2.5 times more deaths, in fact, which is Correct. scary. Yeah. That is, yeah. that's, yeah, that's not good. We, we don't want, we don't want that many deaths. We want fewer no. deaths. We really do. Please, I mean, please. Yeah, the whole food is medicine thing is heavily problematic because even when people have good intentions with it, and absolutely, a lot of people have very good intentions with it. When people like Sarah in this documentary and others such as people who promote Gerson therapy, for example, are using the same rhetoric as you, maybe don't act super surprised when people think that you're all part of the same group. <laughs> maybe that's a sign that you need to back the fuck off from your catchphrase because it has been co-opted by people who are sharing very very dangerous narratives yes and maybe if it's that open to misinterpretation and that open to being co-opted just saying maybe it's worth choosing a different way of phrasing things because it's clearly not working out very well for you because people are confusing food is medicine with food instead of medicine. And that is absolutely not good. No, we don't want that because that's when more people die. Yeah, we don't, we don't want the dying. 
No, no dying, please. And because we like nuance on this show, we do very much mm-hmm. like nuance. I don't think that food as medicine is completely 100% always harmful because it's very rare for anything to be that black and white. Mm-hmm. I am willing, absolutely willing to concede the idea that food is like medicine when someone is experiencing starvation or malnutrition due to an eating disorder, for mm-hmm. example, because there eating food is literally saving their life. It's far from the only thing that we need. And this is the problem is that in a lot of eating disorder treatment, weight restoration is seen as the be all end all when it's really fucking not. And perhaps this is actually part of where food as medicine is the problem because the idea is, oh, if you just eat more food, your weird thoughts about food will just disappear. All your food fears will disappear because they're only there because you're underweight. No, that's not the case. In fact, you'll often find that they were there before someone started losing weight in the first place. Mm, Kind of throws a little spanner in the works with that theory, doesn't it? Anyway, that is the one potential scenario where I would say, you know, the food food as medicine idea has some merit. Mm -hmm. Even, you know, in cases of food insecurity, arguably, I think the solution isn't to just give people more food. You need to give people more money. But that is a whole other controversial political conversation that we probably, we don't need to piss off even more people. So let's just not go <laughs> there. <laughs> I think that might be a first. We've actually decided to stop before we piss off more people. How unusual for us. <laughs> the way that these people see medicine and pills is I think the same way that maybe I see unnecessary food restriction. Oh, I like that. That's Yeah. That's an interesting way of thinking about it. Because it's like, it's bad. Yeah. <laughs> I, do, I think, for me, unnecessary food restriction, bad idea. If you don't have to restrict something, maybe don't. Because there are unintended consequences. I'm deliberately not saying side effects because food is not medicine. But there are unintended consequences. <laughs> but I mean, Nikki, you're, you're the doctor here, right? Would you, would you say that... Allegedly. Allegedly. <laughs> No, I am. I swear I am. I really am. You are the doctor here. Real, not alleged. Um, Real, yeah. Would you say that unnecessary medication, it's probably wise to work towards taking people off it if it's not necessary? Yes, 100%. Yeah. Like, and I think, I think this is a really good point. Like, you know, as we've sort of said, look, we're not, again, we're not idiots, right? We are aware that nutrition and dietary interventions and overall nutritional I would say nutritional health but overall good nutrition patterns I think would be a good way of putting it are conducive to better health right like I think we can all agree on that because we're not idiots we are aware of that um but I think that I think that the issue is here is that they are encouraging the use of this diet in a medicinal in a medicinal fashion for people who don't necessarily need it. So for example, you know, we mentioned this already, low carbohydrate diets are being investigated as they should be because the question is there, who are these diets going to be beneficial for? And the likelihood is that there's probably going to be a subset of people and we, you know, we talked about it in the case of type 2 diabetes there is going to be a subset of people who will show some benefit from from having a diet like this. But if they're prescribing it to everybody, 
there are going to be unintended consequences. And we talked about some of them. We talked about bowel cancer. We talked about cholesterol. We talked about heart disease. We talked about overall risk of death. So the, the, I think the, the analogy would be like me saying that every single person should have heart surgery right now. Ooh, ooh, ooh. Yeah, that would not go down well. <laughs> Right? You should be outraged at that because I'm I'm using I'm basically, you know, using a bazooka on something that needs, you know, <laughs> like, you know, on something that needs finesse. Yes, um yes. <laughs> and I'm and I can't, look, obviously that's very hyperbolic of me, but you know, you get the idea like I'm not I'm not saying that everybody should have this one thing, but they are. And I think that that is a, a problem in the logic of these people. But anyway. I'm just picturing you trying to cook a pizza by blowing it up. <laughs> and it's a really funny mm. image. I love, it, I love it. I do that accidentally. I'm not to be trusted <laughs> with cooking sometimes. But anyway, oh, look, yeah. you know, I guess we should probably just quickly touch on the fact that, you know, the other thing that they're kind of obsessed with here is the the, the real naturalness of mm-hmm. of the ketogenic slash low-carb diet. Um, and this, cause this sort of feeds back into food as medicine, because I think food as medicine is a really attractive alternative to people who buy into these sort of appeal to nature fallacies. Yes, absolutely. Because it very much feeds into this very black and white narrative, medicine, bad food, good, because mm-hmm. medicine, unnatural food, natural, which is, uh, it's not that simple. And actually I know this is very specific and pedantic, but just go with me on this, okay? Okay. At one point, they bring up at one point they bring up vanilla flavor as something <gasps> unnatural. Oh. You've read the same book I have, right? You read Natural by Alan Levinovitz. Yes, I know. Where, I know where this is going. Yeah. Can I just say, if you are <laughs> unaware of this, I can't wait to hear you tell it because this. When I first read this. Um, this fact blew my mind and we are going, we will link Alan's book in the show notes because if you haven't read it, you know, what are you doing with your life? Oh God, I hope, I hope I'm about to say what you think I'm going to say. So but basically I'm really glad that they brought up the idea of vanilla flavor or something unnatural because actually this is one of the best examples that could possibly exist where the apparent unnatural version is actually better for mm-hmm. the planet, not worse <laughs> for your health. And the only way we are actually all going to be able to continue to eat vanilla because it is not possible for everyone to buy natural vanilla. It would wipe out the entire world's crop in minutes. I'm not even being hyperbolic here. Minutes. What would end up potentially happening is that the demand is so high that there would end up being this massive monoculture spanning huge quantities of land to cater to the demand and vanilla vanilla as a plant is fucking fussy let me just say that so that would be really Mm. difficult but you know monoculture is apparently also unnatural so we can't possibly win here yeah yeah natural sounds really lovely it does Um, and I, i i mean we could actually spend a whole episode talking about Alan's book because Mm. it is all about nature it's so good it's so so good and the other example he uses is childbirth when that used to be done naturally back in the day maternal and fetal mortality or neonatal mortality I should say was sky high but which translates to mothers and babies dying right dying 
Now, in developed countries like Australia, like the US, the UK, you know, maternal and neonatal mortality is very, very low because we intervene, right? We watch people during their pregnancy. We treat things that could put mum or baby at risk. We intervene during delivery, all those sorts of things, right? You would generally consider that that's probably good, right? We we don't necessarily want mothers dropping dead while they're giving birth. I mm-hmm. think that would be a fair assessment of mm-hmm. society's needs and wants. You know, so, you know, this idea of naturalness isn't always a good thing. And, you know, one of the the sort of examples where I, I found it, you know, very strange was Abigail, who is the young autistic girl, and her father. And we've sort of alluded to the fact that we think dad, well, we know dad has had some substance use issues in the past, so he's very uh, conscious and afraid of drugs, which I understand. Uh, but the way he talks about her medications, so she, just as a reminder, she has autism, she has epilepsy, uh, and he says things like, you know, she's on she's on a great big pile of garbage to treat her epilepsy. She has 50 seizures a day. Um, and she, he says that one of the ones that she's on, which is called Omphi, which is the brand name for something called Clobazam, um, and the other one she's on is called Zanisamide, they are basically like heroin, they're like crack. And I'm like, well, no, they're actually nothing. Like, I'm going to be pedantic now. Heroin is an opiate. Clobazam is a benzodiazepine. Um, Zanisamide is a sulfon- uh, sulfonamide. Okay, they're completely different drugs, champ. Like, you know, crack a book. But, you know, the, the, <laughs> the comparison of these medications that, you know, reduce his daughter's seizures, um, the severity or frequency of them, to an illicit drug that has a huge amount of baggage, causes you know a significant amount of harm in the community to individuals and community at large, is really it's the exact opposite of saying food and natural things are good, comparing them to, to nature and all of these other warm, fuzzy things. But <laughs> these, these things that are keeping her alive, they are like illicit substances. And... I think one of the things we've probably seen through a lot of these films is that there is this creation of fear or failure around using medications that, you know, I mentioned this just before, you know, if you are on a medication, if you have an operation, if you, you know, all those kinds of things, then you're a failure. Mm -hmm. Like I find that incredibly distasteful incredibly harmful and obviously very very inaccurate yeah so now we have both food shaming and pill shaming in the midst and that's too much we don't we don't need all of that it's not actually helpful it's shaming in general is just not a particularly great idea Mm. oh can we just please stop with the food as medicine thing i mean i really hope that we've convinced some people to even just think about that idea a little bit and to see that it's not as simple perhaps as it's made out to be that actually there are very real harms and they're not just kind of Mm. they're not niche these kinds of documentaries these kinds of narratives are very very popular Mm. it's not just Gerson therapy it's a lot more pervasive than just that it really is I think the final thing that is worth just bringing up is this link between food is medicine and the, the conversations they have far too briefly, in my opinion, in this documentary around Aboriginal Australian health. So the idea that food can be medicinal in terms of bringing people back to 
cultural foods, Aboriginal foods that they've lost along the way in some way due to, let's be honest, white people coming in and fucking shit up. That's what we did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, so I guess this inclusion in the film, I have to be honest, made me a little uncomfortable for a few reasons. Um, so I think we've already touched on the fact that it's strange that this is an Australian documentary and they have this most of it being filmed in the US. Yeah, I didn't like that. Yeah, right, it's strange. Um, but they're also they're bringing in uh, Aboriginal health. Now, for those of you who perhaps aren't Australian and don't understand, there is a very embarrassingly large gap between the health of Indigenous Australians and non-Indigenous Australians, and it is an enormous shame on our country for the reasons that Pixie's already alluded to. It's basically... 200 odd years of systemic racism um oh but the <laughs> not racist um <laughs> how many people do we want to piss off in one show again <laughs> for the reasons that pixie's already alluded to you know there has been an enormous amount of systemic racism um you know loss of culture etc cetera, etc cetera. and the feature of these people in the film is, I think, I agree, I think it's too brief. I am loathe to have this issue brought up in this film because I think this film is lacks credibility uh, and the fact that it's brought up here I think does a disservice uh, and vastly oversimplifies the issues around Aboriginal health. Now, full disclaimer, I am not an Indigenous Australian. Um, I've worked with in the field of Aboriginal health for a really, really long time. So these are just these just my personal opinions and, and where the evidence takes me. Um, but I think that it is admirable. The program that they're talking about, you know, tries to get a lot of engagement from elders in the community, which is really important. They're trying to give culturally appropriate care to improve the health of these people but I think the implication that's been made by the filmmakers that a low carbohydrate diet or a ketogenic diet is going to undo 200 odd years of systemic racism ongoing um you know what's the word ongoing loss of privilege of you know social terrible social determinants of health I think is injustice it's injustice that is the word I'm looking for yeah, and I think that's I think that's unfortunate. And like I say, I'm fully on board with the fact that there is a program who is getting um, buy-in from the community and providing culturally appropriate care. I think that's freaking brilliant. I think mm. the portrayal as Evans and this diet as the saviors is a really bad look. Oh man, you know what you've just done there is you've just said exactly what's been running around my brain and really struggled to articulate. Mm. And that's just it. It's the idea that they are insinuating that all of this, these 200 years of injustice, of systemic racism, all of this shit mm. can all be corrected mm -hmm. in some way with eating low carb. Because they, they don't actually really, as far as I remember, kind of really go into the whole low-carb thing as part of this. No, but they the don't. very fact that it's all part of the same documentary, it's all put under the same umbrella, that instant, like even though the people running that program didn't explicitly 
align themselves with a keto diet by putting these things under the same documentary umbrella of course that's what they're insinuating i think we have to be kind of like look that is what they are doing yeah yeah that is very much what the the, the filmmakers are, are doing and it's it's problematic because that's no it's not it's not that simple i am not australian but even I know it's not that simple. Agree. And I think, you know, we could probably extrapolate this to a lot of the films that we watch that they are basically, you know, they're basically saying that injustices can be undone by a particular diet. And we've, we've talked about this a lot with all these different diets. To pursue a lot of them requires a degree of privilege, right? Education to know how to cook, a refrigerator, a stove, uh, to know how to cook, to have access to food. Some of these foods are really expensive. If you're eating predominantly meat, for example, then you know that's a really expensive diet. And people say, well, then vegetables, they're pretty cheap. If vegetables are cheap, if you or cheaper, I should say, if you live in an urban area where you have easy access to fresh fruit and vegetables. If you live you know, way, way out of town, then you don't have that access and vegetables are expensive. I think that the they very conveniently, all of these films very conveniently ignore the realities of what drives health. And they are trying to tell us that health can be repaired by a diet that is going to basically eradicate all of the social determinants of health and that is just not accurate it is just not accurate for me like I say as an Australian I found this part of the film hit home a little harder I think what we we will do is just for people who are interested I'll leave some really good references for people to have a look at um, in the show notes to sort of get a better idea of what's going on but anyway that's our thoughts on that food isn't medicine hashtag food isn't medicine (laughs) Yep. In a nutshell, that's just it. <laughs> Food isn't medicine. Uh, don't email us, please. <laughs> no, don't, don't, don't email us. Not this week. Not, not this week. But we are not done with the conspiracy theories because next week for our final episode on the magic pill, we are going to be delving into conspiracy theories and tribalism in food and nutrition are we going to piss off even more people? No, oh, people are going to be mad again. Yeah. Oh, we, no. Oh, what have we done? Holy shit. Oh, well. We're going to record it anyway. Carry Sorry. on. <laughs> <laughs> oh, look, please don't forget to leave us a five-star rating and make sure you sub- subscribe because then we just pop up on your phone. Hello. Here we are. Um, that, that's how people will find us. And, of course, tell your mates. Tell you know, all of the people, if you like. If you have any questions or comments, you can get in contact with us on email in podcast at gmail.com. We mostly love hearing from you. Some people we don't want to hear from. Um, yep. Do you know we've been getting a lot of? Did you know we've been getting a lot of spam lately? How rude! Yeah, like <laughs> asking us, dear Pixie and Nikki, here's how you can increase your blah blah blah. Just pay us an exorbitant amount of money. We don't want those emails. If you're emailing us that, you can stop that right now. Um, But anyway, as always, you can come and see us in our socials. Uh, Pixie is at Pixie Nutrition and I am at Dr. Nikki Stamp. And as always, we'll leave you some cool references and relevant links in the show notes below. Fabulous. Join us next week for our final episode where we round up the absolute shit show that is the magic pill. It's going to be fun. 
It, we'll see you there. It, is it? Bye. No, it's not going to be fun, but at least I'm trying. I'm trying, okay? I'm trying to just <laughs> not shit. <laughs> Stop misleading me. Small details are big surfaces, tight corners are odd shapes, flat, rounded, textured, or tall. Whatever your next project, there's a spray paint pattern that's just right. Because Rust-Oleum's new Custom Spray 5-in-1 gives you control with five different spray patterns. So you can tackle nooks, crannies, edges, and curves without worrying about drips, runs, uneven coverage, or anything else. Custom Spray 5-in-1. Only from Rustolium. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.